All right. Um, hey, folks. So welcome back to the FastLift podcast. Today, I want to give you my opinion on the semaglutide controversy in the UK. So for those of you who don't know, just to give you a quick background on it, over the last few weeks, a weight loss drug called semaglutide has been given the green light to be administered to people who fit the criteria and are obese here in the UK. Now, firstly, the fitness industry has known about semaglutide for probably about a year, year and a half, maybe even two years, as it was heavily documented by some popular fitness um, bodybuilding commenters um, on YouTube and on various podcasts. So we've known about it for a while. Some some people I know who have even experimented with using it, and it is indeed tremendously effective and just as effective as the studies show and the accounts online show, people are just losing tremendous amounts of body fat over the course of weeks because their appetite simply dies off. That's what it does. Now, I want to cover a couple of things um, in this podcast. Firstly, I want to look at the history of fat loss drugs. And then I want to look at what overall, what causes obesity in these countries like UK, US, Canada, etc. Those are the main ones, really. Um, and then I want to give you my opinion on semaglutide and how it fits into the sphere and the environment, because I think it's important. Um, so firstly, history of weight loss drugs. Most weight loss drugs which are actually effective have been banned off the market. For one reason or another, um, various studies have sought to show them to be dangerous. Now, I'll give you what I said that very carefully, showed them to be dangerous, because a lot of them have very varied effects on health as measured with the studies. But... I'll give you an example anyway, um, so, so you know what I'm talking about. There's a drug called um, Sibutramine. Sibutramine was an appetite suppressant. It was a roughly 24-hour appetite suppressant. Now, I w I'm just going to stop here for a second. I want you guys to message me. When I say Sibutramine, fat loss drug, was active many years ago, what are your general impressions? As in, what comes to mind? Do you think great? Do you think it was probably dangerous? What are your general thoughts? Because I think this is part of the conditioning that we have against weight loss drugs. I mean, it's in the name. No one likes the name, the word drugs, you know. Uh, it's in the name. We have this sort of a conditioning against chemicals and the word drug. Uh, we're sort of conditioned to believe that they're all bad. However, this drug, it, um, it was highly effective. It was pulled off the market for some very dubious reasons. I've looked at the research and... There was a sort of a mild association with some various um, cardiovascular issues. However, those it wasn't conclusive that those cardiovascular issues were coming from the drug itself. More likely, it was actually coming from the people who were cardiovascularly impaired and the lifestyles they were living. But then this research was shown that, okay, it was, was used to prove that, okay, it's dangerous, and then it was pulled off market. However, it was an extremely effective drug. It was an appetite suppressant which worked on a 24-hour basis, pop a small tablet, Every day, it helps your appetite. You lose weight naturally without trying anything. You just naturally ad libitum, as they say in the research, which means you eat appetite, eat as much as you like, you just lost weight. And also it had various sort of metabolic um, benefits. So it, in it directly increased your metabolism. It also directly reduced visceral fat. Um, <laughs> I mean, really, really good stuff, you know. Um, and with all that came this sort of dubious, potentially wrong um, implication that it was actually dangerous for you and, you know, whatnot. So you got pulled off the markets and now, you know, it, it, you just can't get hold of it. So that was like one of the drugs. And I think that has happened quite a lot over the years with various things. So the other one, which used to be legal, 
and it was legal not very long ago either. It was, I remember using this drug when I was uh, in my first strongman competition is uh, ephedra, ephedrine. So uh, back 22 years ago now it was legal. So you could buy it just from over, you know, over the counter. So people would stack together ephedrine, caffeine, aspirin, and that was the ECA stack. And it was, again, extremely effective. Ephedrine has been shown to be massively effective and also very, very well tolerated. So no adverse, you know, effects, which are significant over placebo. So this was a potent stack. People would get up to taking it three times a day. Um, I, I can't remember the numbers right now. It's been it's been literally decades since I've used it myself, but I just remember it being tremendously effective. It used to be part of um, Ultimate Orange stack, which was a pre-workout. It's, it's quite funny when these young guys talk about Jack 3D as the Ultimate Pre-Workout. I say, no, no, no. <laughs> it's literally, it's led orange juice compared to Ultimate Orange. Ultimate Orange was, like, it was literally had ephedrine and caffeine in it, which is amazing. But anyway, it was a tremendous fat loss compound and people would use it three times a day. That was also pulled off the markets for a similar type of thing because the problem with these these fat loss drugs is with a lot of them being so so effective um what tends to happen is they get used in studies on people who really need them i mean that's obvious right so you have these studies where people are massively at risk yeah so people with bmis in the 30s 35s so they're clearly just you know pretty much um i mean i hate to say it but pretty much walking dead at that point anyway so they get put on these drugs um, and inevitably a few of them over the course of you know 12 to 18 to 24 months are going to pass on and then the drug gets blamed it's a damn shame because then what tends to happen is the drug the baby gets thrown out with the bathwater drug gets blamed rather than rather than the condition that the person was in now that's sort of a, a brief history of, of weight loss drugs. There are others as well. There are various other ones which are more or less dangerous. But anyway, it's what my point with, with this first section is weight, direct weight loss drugs have not had a very good history in the UK or in the US for, for that matter, around the world. So if you're trying to fix a problem as in diabetes, like metformin, for example, that's great. Like Loads of research on that. Everyone's very positive about it. If you're trying to fix a quote-unquote disease like obesity, no, no, no. It gets downplayed. It gets trashed. And ultimately, it gets banned. Now, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because you, I think, I mean, I'm not a very, I'm not big on conspiracy theories. So I don't think it's a conspiracy thing. I do think there's a large social stigma against fixing people's obesity or against even just telling, labeling people as obese. You know, like you've heard nowadays, doctors are not supposed to really discuss, you know, obesity as a, as a term. It's more, they have to use a more gentle way of discussing it. So I think that's part of the conversation is we can't really discuss obesity. We have to just flirt around it. So if we have a drug which directly um, impacts obesity, then it's not on a very good road to being a well-embraced drug by a great deal of people. And fit pros don't help themselves, okay? So the reaction from a lot of coaches recently in the last week or two has been, oh, you shouldn't need drugs, you should do it all by hard work. I mean, when all of these guys are probably on test and trend and whatever else, you know, is just laughable, really. So and at that stage, are they trying to help people or are they just virtue signaling? You know, I'll leave that up to you to decide. But anyway, the first thing was history of drugs. Now, the next thing I want to discuss, and this leads into my final 
my, the, the the bulk of what we're talking about, which is my opinion on semaglutide. The second thing I want to talk about is why we get fat. Just a quick, brief sort of overview. Why are we fatter in the UK and US and potentially Canada and all around the rest of the world? It's generally a combination of, first, the primary thing, which is access to hyperplatable foods, access to foods which are very, very calorie-dense and very poor, nutrient-dense. It's essentially it. It's the first part of it. Second part, to a lesser extent, is inactive lifestyles. I don't think that's a major part of it. Um, past about, you know, if people are getting in a reasonable amount of steps per day, like anywhere between eight to 12,000, that's a good amount. Uh, and doing some form of physical exercise as part of that is great. I think once you get to that baseline, it's very dubious as to what else is going to matter, as in how much more activity is going to help, because it has various other knock-on effects. Then diet really comes into play. Now, I think at the heart of it, most people just eat incorrectly. It's quite weird. I, um, I, I sort of explain my dietary approach, and um, it's always met with very, very quizzical stares. And I'm just going to lay it out for you guys, and you can message me. You know, let me know how odd this is. I mostly eat um, meat, vegetables, fruit, uh, some dairy, like eggs, cheese, and that's about it. So let me know how odd that seems to you. My, my meals are, I never, I never go hungry, I eat appetite. I, I don't count calories, but um, in general, it works out to be about 250 to 275 grams of protein a day. Um, fat in the region of about 80 to 100. Carbs are a lot less, usually less than 100. Um, sometimes less than 50 per day, depending on how much fruit I eat on that day. That's my general sort of thing. And so the inevitable questions are, you know, you must be so disciplined. You know, you say no to chocolates, you say no to brownies, all that kind of stuff. But I find it odd because while I don't purposely go out of my way to say no to brownies and chocolates, I don't necessarily feel the need to have them every day. And I think that's the, the issue. It's normal to have shit every day <laughs> i mean that's maybe a bit strong i don't want to come across as one of those obsessive fit pros but it's normal to have stuff which is um which doesn't really offer a great deal in terms of nutrients on a daily basis you know like emotional food i guess it's normal to have that on a daily basis it's not normal to just eat to make yourself feel good when i eat all that stuff i feel great you know energy levels feel good and that's more important to me personally as regards to sort of my business goals, my life goals. I have to be on it, you know, every, almost every day. So it's important to me that I eat in a way which fuels my lifestyle, which makes me feel positive. And I'm, I'm very sort of good about cutting out a lot of um, potentially negative influences in my life, which are going to ruin that positivity, ruin that sort of energy that I have. So whether that's people, situations, circumstances, or food. So Essentially, I eat in a way which optimizes my health. Yeah. Now, that is seen as strange. Eating in a way which is a detriment to health is seen as normal. So I think we live in a society in which it's normal to be, to be eating in a way which is going to promote obesity. Now, just let that sink in for a second. Every time somebody says to you, you know, why aren't you having those brownies? Why aren't you coming out for a drink? Why aren't you, ha why aren't you drinking tonight? Why, you know, why? Why don't you have a second portion? Come on, join us for some chocolate. Let's grab some chocolate. Let's grab some popcorn. Let's go to the cinema. Every time somebody says that, it's a normalization of, of um, habits which encourage obesity. It's normal. It's, it's strange, right? Like, I'm all for celebrating, you know, um, people's birthdays and whatnot, and that's great. But 
by God, do they come around a lot? <laughs> you know, um, I don't know. I think it's one of those things where you can get away with a lot when you're younger. And so it becomes entrenched into your life when you're younger. That hey, it's just it's hey, it's my birthday. It's 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 John's birthday. It's uh it's their anniversary. Let's celebrate, you know. And if you work in, you know, the common sort of modern office, like there's capes and brownies all the time. Just because it's somebody's birthday or somebody's, I don't know, whatever else has happened. And so there's a normalization of this. And even if it's not that, it's just like, oh, let's have a cheeky Nando's, a cheeky Mackey's. Let's have a Starbucks in the morning, <laughs> which is like 500 calories of just sugar and, uh, and caffeine. And it's normal. So I think a large part of it is this really, really subtle, but um, completely embedded normalization of just eating of habits which are going to lead to obesity. And then for people who are obese and are suffering the health effects of that, or even if they're not yet, and they're younger perhaps, they're on the road to chronic disease, it's again that normalization. I mean, I have, I have one friend who's um, in one of my gaming circles, because um, I, I, you, guys, you guys might know, I do a bit of gaming, sort of online gaming. And um, she gets takeaway pretty much about three to four times a week. It's crazy. You know, so firstly, I think the amount of money she must spend, but the detriment to her health is insane. I and mean, she's in her in her um, late twenties, I think. Um, but in ten years' time, she's going to feel it. You know, right now she feels good. She feels relatively healthy, if not a bit sort of tired on a day-to-day -day basis. But um, like the effect is having on her body and on her on her mind over the course of the next ten to fifteen years. She will feel that if she doesn't do it already. And I think that it's sort of like a stuff which is really really bad for your health but because you think it's normal you carry on doing it and you continue to get worse that's normal in our life and so when i when i'm out for dinner and at the choices that i make they're seen as abnormal by some people anyway most people don't really talk about it people just know me as me but um you know friends and whatnot like um i'm actually going out for dinner later today and I'm probably going to be getting the steak and eggs with with extra bacon, <laughs> so uh, it'll be it'll be more than likely different to to what my friend is going to get. But uh, like he just knows me as Faz, so he knows what I do. But I think what my point is with the second section is that there's there's a norm there's a heavy heavy normalization of habits which are ultimately unhealthy and which are going to lead to you being obese, either now or later in life or at the very least are going to cause you to massively struggle with your weight and force you to go through periods, long periods of dieting and being unhappy with your body, long periods of suffering to diet, just because of the food you eat. It's really that simple. Because there's a stigma attached around eating foods which are going to be good for you <laughs> and ultimately cause you a lot less stress. I mean, if you put it in those terms, it's quite crazy, isn't it, really? So now, this leads to the final thing, which is my opinion on semaglutide. Now, the reason that I wanted to talk about society and the reasons for fat the for weight gain is due to like this semaglutide it's a product of our modern society we have the same the same science and advancements in science and technology which have allowed us to become this nation and world essentially of obese people and unhealthy people ultimately and i'm going to just add that in alongside obese let's say unhealthy because for the most part if you're not unhealthy right now you certainly will be if you carried on folk the world, the, the technology, the, the, the day and age that we live in, which has allowed us to get to this point where we are overwhelmingly obese, which has massive sort of health and psychological and mental health, physical health problems, has also produced these drugs which are aiming to fix those problems. 
Now, these drugs get trashed by a lot of fit pros, all the people who have given their opinions, which are, um, which are, I mean, opinions are, everyone has is entitled to an opinion, but they're quite damaging because we're put in these situations. We live in a world which encourages obesity, essentially, encourages disease. Now, when a drug comes out, which has been proven to actually combat that with minimal to zero side effects, it's trashed. And hopefully the first section that I discussed about the history of weight loss drugs and how they're received generally has given you a bit of an insight into why history repeats itself. You know, a lot of these drugs, they could have been used on a regular basis, but because of outraged medical professions, fit pros, general Joe public, they're not, they're pulled off the market and then people continue to have the problems. They continue to have the chronic disease that they normally have. I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. I have a friend of mine, an old, old friend of mine who actually used to go to school with, and she's a nurse, I think. Mm. She works in the medical community anyway. She was talking to me about, um, she brought up the subject of um, gastric bypass. And um, her point was that people who get a gastric bypass are like really, really lazy. And, and uh, they should just do, you know, it's just, they should just, um, she said, well, look, I've got to struggle with my weight. Why should they get a free pass and get a surgery? And I'm like, wow, like the attitude was insane. So I thought rather than giving my opinion straight away, what I would do is I would go and research, you know, the, the um, research the operation, look at the success rates. So I thought, I, I, you know, let's be educated on the matter. Because she was really outraged and she's a nurse. So I thought, well, maybe she knows something I don't. Um, so I researched it. And there's, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but it's, very, very well tolerated. Like gastric bypass surgeries tend to be extremely well tolerated. I thought back to sort of the rumors that I heard of people with gastric bypasses just regaining all the weight and the, the band bursting and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I realized, well, I had just been exposed to people's BS again because if you look at the research, there's an overwhelmingly high success rate. Like it's really good, you know, if you look at objective research, which aims to discuss, well, does this surgery actually work for people? And there's an overwhelmingly high success rate, which I wasn't aware of because I was, you know, blindsided into these people who are outraged by drugs or outraged by surgeries, outraged by what they refer to as quick fixes. Now, the benefits of this gastric bypass surgery for people have been tremendous. It stops people from overeating. It reverses people's diabetes. Now, diabetes is a fucking horrible drug, uh, sorry, a horrible disease. Like people lose limbs from that stuff. Like it's awful. You know, or like heart disease, families losing their fathers, their mothers due to heart attacks and strokes and God knows what else. There are horrible consequences which come from being overweight and obese. And you've got this person here who's actually in the medical community who is vehemently against, who actually hates people she has to treat who get gastric bypass surgeries, which are helping their lives and are helping the life, which are causing them to be less of a burden on the. Um, health system in her country. She's over in America. And it blows my mind that you have these ill-informed people who are just sat there thinking, God, they should just put in more hard work. It just, it's all like a jealous thing. It's like, yeah, I have to put in all the hard work. I have to watch my diet. Why do they get an easy route? When it helps them, it, it makes them less of a strain on the, on the healthcare system. It makes them live a healthier, longer life. So they are around for their children and their loved ones. And you've got this person who actually works in the health industry, who actually serves these people, just hating them behind their back because she thinks it's a shortcut. It blows my mind at the ignorance of some people. And I think that's the same thing we see with semaglutide. They see it as a shortcut, but it isn't. 
whatever it is, it's helping people live long, healthy lives to get rid of this condition, obesity, which is going to lead them to further conditions down the line, which is going to greatly impair their health, which is going to greatly impair, impact their contribution to society, which is going to make them a drain on society potentially, and which is going to ultimately take them away from their loved ones. I think this is some of the this type of stuff is some of the best thing to happen to our society. Like this is should be a natural result of the society we've created, which encourages obesity. We are also now creating a, a solution that should not be discouraged. It should be promoted heavily, heavily. It by the looks of it now, it doesn't seem to have any ad, massively adverse side effects. It seems to be very well tolerated. There's always going to be some uh, side effects, of course, but you know. This seems to be mostly well tolerated. Some people are always going to you know, disagree with things, but in general, it's very well tolerated and it's an insanely good solution. I, I am all for this. In fact, I also think they should lower the barrier for people who are prescribed this because it won't be prescribed to people who are just re you know somewhat overweight. It will be prescribed firstly to people who are massively obese. I think it should be prescribed to anyone who's looking to lose weight for health reasons. Um, I am all for this. I'm all for the legalization of these types of drugs, which ultimately help people, help them with their health, make them stay around for longer so they can be productive members of society for longer, stay around for their sons and daughters and loved ones for longer. I'm all for that. Um, and I don't give a damn if people see it as a shortcut. And um, I think it's a completely ignorant point of view to say that these should be banned or they shouldn't be allowed. We should just nut up and work harder because you know what? That's not working so far, is it? So if we can have a little bit of help for that, then I think it works. And I think it's, and I, I'd, I'd like to hear your opinion on this. I, I, I definitely would. And if somebody's out there who completely disagrees with me, then message me, let's talk it through. Uh, but I've given you my opinion on this. Ultimately, it's helping people. It doesn't matter if people see it as a shortcut or not. It means, means that people are less of a drain on society. They contribute more and they're around for their loved ones. Their sons and daughters, their loved ones, they can be around for them. I don't think that's a bad thing at all. Why would that be a bad thing? Oh, because some idiot who's involved in the medical industry thinks they're taking a shortcut. Bollocks. So that's my view on semaglutide and weight loss drugs in general. If they help your health, I'm all for them. Right, folks, I'm going to call it there. Hopefully you found that interesting and um, thought-provoking. I will uh, see you guys in the next one.